Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to Development Hell. For every horror title that hits BOD, there's going to be countless others that end up DOA. Development Hell is a podcast dedicated to unearthing these plagued horror productions to find out what went wrong and then decide if they've still got a shot at the green light. I am your host, Josh Corncut. I am a filmmaker in Toronto, Canada. This podcast is brought to you by the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad. Today's episode is going to be about a series of Stephen King adaptations that never saw the light of day. Stephen King is a big deal for me, for you, for a lot of people. And Stephen King in cinema has been a bit of a complicated relationship since the dawn of time. He is a celebrated author of horror, but also of drama and a number of other genres that we've like to pretend he doesn't dabble into, but he does. Okay, Hearts in Atlantis. I didn't read it, but it's not spooky. Uh, there have been a number of adaptations over the years that are widely regarded as very deliciously good. And I'm, I'm talking about Shawshank Redemption, the first It movie, Stand By Me, you know, stuff like that. Ooh, The Shining. But generally speaking, a lot of his adaptations have been considered fromage fromage i don't know i'm not french today we're going to be talking mainly about five projects of stephen king works that have been stuck in development hell um but we're also going to be touching on projects that are currently in development heaven never said that before probably will never say it again and we're gonna give you some of my personal feelings and opinions um sorry in advance i'm gonna give you like a little brief outline of how this episode is gonna go down we're gonna talk a little bit about stephen king and me yes we're best friends i'm gonna give a little bit more about stephen king's history with the cinema we're gonna talk best adaptations worst adaptations 
And then finally, I'm going to take you through the five Stephen King development hell projects that I care the most about. That is The Jaunt, which is a Stephen King short story. Also happens to be my favorite short story of all time. We're talking about The Dark Tower television series, which was once in development with Amazon. We're also going to be talking about the revival film adaptation, once to be directed by Mr. Mike Flanagan. There's also the Tommyknockers film adaptation in development with James Wan. And lastly, we're going to be talking about the adaptation of The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. Okay, so you're wondering, does he love Stephen King? Does he hate Stephen King? He already kind of said he likes him. Yes, I'm a big fan of The King. I'm a big fan of horror literature in general, not just the movies. I am literate. Okay, I don't read that much, but I listen to a lot of audiobooks, Jules. The first Stephen King book I ever read was The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. I saw it at a Scholastic Book Fair in grade eight, and I thought, why is this here? Spooky. And I got it, and it was really scary and amazing. The most recent Stephen King book I read was The Eyes of the Dragon, another non-horror fantasy. I think I've read probably about 20 Stephen King books, so I'm not mm, the most knowledgeable, but I'm certainly not the least. And that said, I am very passionate about the man, the work, the legend. I would say my favorite Stephen King novel at this point in time would have to be Pet Cemetery. It is just so scary, so sad, so dark. It deals with things that I think a lot of other novels and films are really afraid of dealing with, and that's death, specifically the death of a child. Not in a way that isn't, I want to use the word fun, which is grim, but I'm going to say it. it. It's gothic, it's scary, and it's kind of pulpy, but it's also hard drama incorporating really, really dark themes. And that, that's edgy and that's cool. So my least favorite of his works is the Institute, which happens to be, I think, his latest proper novel or one of his more recent proper novels. I really love Stephen King short stories. I could argue that they are where he shines the brightest. He is the Ryan Murphy of novels and stories and the pen. He has this genius inception and then sometimes it can get away from him near the end. It's kind of a Stephen King stereotype that he has a hard time tying up some of his ideas a la Ryan Murphy. What Stephen King short story would I adapt? You're asking probably, but not really, but I'm going to tell you anyways. There is a story called Mrs. Todd's Shortcut. Uh, It was published in the series of short stories called Skeleton Crew in 1986, and it involves this middle-aged wealthy woman that lives alone in a very quaint small town, New England, very Stephen King. What she does is she takes drives through the countryside around the small town in her cute little speedster. And she does this at night, and she's obsessed with finding shortcuts. She's obsessed with finding quicker and quicker ways to get from point A to point B on the map. To the point where she starts to manage to find little pockets of interdimensional nothingness that she can sort of 
drive through and it becomes this little time folds, these little extra dimensional shortcuts that she takes. And when she gets to the other side, uh, her windshield are covered with like giant bugs that don't exist in this dimension. Other little hints that she's been through a different place that doesn't really exist on our plane. It's a beautiful story and it really stuck with me. And it's one that I would love to see on his list of dollar babies. For those who don't know, Stephen King Dollar Babies are a consistent list of his short stories um, that he is allowing any filmmaker basically out there to adapt for one dollar because he's cool and he wants to encourage other people to be cool. I have never seen the story on the list. The one that I do see on the list recently is Uncle Otto's Truck, which is really weird and really spooky, not of the same quality but I would do it, so keep an eye out for my incredible adaptation. Let's get back into the history of Stephen King and cinema. Yes, Stephen King and cinema, rocky history. Even Stephen King's one and only directorial effort is, woof, not the best thing that's ever existed in the history of mankind. It's Maximum Overdrive, a 1980s horror comedy action moment, I suppose, about uh, trucks and other machinery that come to life on their own and take over mankind and kill a bunch of people. And then there's all these like weirdo characters that get stuck at a truck stop as trucks try to kill them. It's, it's worth watching. Uh, but it's really cocaine-fueled and bizarre. Stephen King falls in and out of public favor, I would say faster than Taylor Swift, because he's been around and popular for so long. He's had these peaks and valleys of popularity over the years, and not long ago, around 2017, 2018, he had a high, and that was around the time that It Chapter One came out, and everyone was clamoring to get their hands on a Stephen King property for an adaptation. Years since then have passed, and there has been Stephen King projects that haven't done so well at the box office, Dr. Sleep, and there's been a couple of reasons to think that we may be in a King Valley as of right now. (laughs) What are some of the worst, or considered to be, the worst Stephen King adaptations out there? I'm gonna quickly run through them, not gonna tell you much about them, Google this shit, because it's interesting. We have The Lawnmower Man, uh, based on a short story. There's Trucks, which is based on the same short story as Maximum Overdrive. There's the TV limited series, I think, or maybe just a film called Desperation by Mick Garris. There's also Riding the Bullet by Mick Garris, which I really like. Shut the fuck up. There was a adaptation with Samuel L. Jackson and John Cusack of the book Cell that nobody liked and it was was all of the Children of the Corn movies and more recently there was that Carrie remake from 2013 that you know missed the mark tonally in a lot of ways but I like to keep things positive every once in a while so let's move down the list to what is considered to be the best Stephen King film adaptations we have Stand By Me. We have The Shawshank Redemption. We also have Misery, Carrie, The Shining, all of the It adaptations, Creepshow, which isn't exactly an adaptation, but he did write it, and The Mist uh, from 2007-ish, which didn't do great, but is a big favorite among horror fans. 
I am also personally a fan of The Night Flyer, directed by Mark Pavia and starring Miguel Ferrer. This, I believe it came out around 1997 and was about a vampire slash pilot. Don't really recall what it was about, but it was gross and really worth checking out if you're into weird, obscure 90s horror. I was trying to develop an episode of this podcast all about the lost sequel of The Night Flyer, which was going to be called Fear of Flying, but Mark Pavia never got back to me because he doesn't know me and I'm probably scary to him. Oh, I I also really like the 1408 adaptation with John Cusack. And don't ask me why, but I also like the Langoliers miniseries from, I think, the 90s. Before we get into the adaptations that are stook in development hell, let's uh, just skim through the productions that are really happening, okay? So King Productions that are currently in the works and we're definitely probably most likely going to see include an adaptation of Lisey's story. This is going to be on Apple Plus and star Julianne Moore. It's a novel, horror drama novel that he wrote around 2006 about the wife of a deceased author. There's going to be a TV show based on his short story, Jerusalem's Lot. Not Salem's Lot, Jerusalem's Lot. Yes, they're two different things. We're going to see a film adaptation of Sleeping Beauties, the novel he wrote with his son, Owen King. And there's a heavy talks that we're going to see two TV series coming out not long from now. One based on The Institute, which is his more recent novel that I spoke about hating earlier. And there's also talks of a TV show called Overlook, set in the universe of The Shining. And this is supposed to be in development with HBO Max. That kind of sounds kind of cool. I hate a Doctor Sleep, though. So who is to say? So... We're here, and we're going to get into the meat of the episode. Starting with first of our five Stephen King development hell projects. Number one, The Jaunt. So I mentioned The Jaunt is one of my two favorite. This alongside Mrs. Todd's Shortcut, which I've already discussed. So The Jaunt is a short story published in Skeleton Crew, an anthology Stephen King put out in 1986. And boy, oh boy, is this story scary. If you've met me, I've told you about The Jaunt. If you've listened to this podcast, I've probably mentioned The Jaunt a number of times. It's a big part of my origin story. And I'm going to tell you just like an itsy beatsy about the plot right now. Generally speaking, it is about teleportation. And there's this new form of travel far in the future called jaunting which is basically teleportation and what you do is you go through this portal you go through unconscious and you arrive on the other side moments later not even like a second later physically twist is if you happen to go through consciously your body arrives in an instant but it takes your conscious mind billions millions of years to arrive. So your consciousness, awake, is just floating through a white void for infinity, unable to die, unable to escape, and you're just alone with your thoughts 
for a kabillion years. And when you do eventually arrive on the other side, you immediately go mad and rip out your own eyes and die probably of a heart attack from the shock. Brr, terrifying. I read it for the first time on a plane as a teenager and it really messed with my brain. So the jaunt. What's going on with it thematically? So Andy, I'm never saying his name right, Mushieti? Sorry. This is the guy that directed the recent uh, It adaptations. So he, although is currently, apparently, in development on another Stephen King work, Roadwork, he has also been tapped by Plan B, which is Brad Pitt's production company, to produce an adaptation of The Jaunt. But of course, a lot has gone down since this was announced, and The Jaunt was thought to be lost in development hell. That is until February of this year, when Deadline reported that a Mr. Dave Erickson, who's the co-creator of AMC's Fear of the Walking Dead, would be turning the jaunt into a TV series. While I am not very familiar with his work on Fear of the Walking Dead, I do think that this short story has potential for a prestige series. Uh, it's super psychological, so you're not going to get to see a lot of it all the time. I think it would work best with really good actors and really good writing sort of just floating around the subject for a little while, so we'll see if this works out. I'm starting to think that the jaunt may actually be making its way out of development hell. Stephen King Project number two, the Dark Tower television series. There are other worlds than these. Worlds where a boy shines against the dark. Where everyone floats down below. Where revenge is drenched in blood and fire, and no one dares to laugh. Lives are locked up with undying hope. Walls that have moved on. Walls that have not. They all begin and end here. The Dark Tower. Oi. They. All right, let's talk Dark Tower, shall we? Dark Tower, as you probably know, but if you're, you're my mom, you don't know, is Stephen King's grand opus. It's his f- high fantasy uh, series of novels that take place desert, other world, and it's very high concept, and it's fairly horror, and it is considered pretty much to be Stephen King's masterwork. Yes. Okay. We did get a film adaptation of sorts in 2017. That was a big critical flop. No, I never saw it because it looked really bad. Um, Although it did have interesting casting with Edris Alba and Matthew McConaughey in the two lead roles. It did make a shekel at the box office, but it did not scratch the zeitgeist and was considered to be somewhat of a failure. Oof. All right. Well, the Dark Tower adaptation has actually been in works for years and years and years and had a number of different incarnations. 
Starting off back in 2007, Mr. J.J. Abrams, hot off the success of the Lost series, was in development on a theatrical Dark Tower adaptation. J.J. Abrams and Damon Lindelof had the rights to the book, but eventually they both had to walk away for different projects. Abrams went off to do Star Trek and then Star Wars. Lindelof did Cowboys and Aliens, Prometheus, Star Trek Into Darkness. These girls, they were busy. So in 2010, after just after J.J. Abrams stepped down, Ron Howard stepped in announcing that this was going to be a trilogy of films. Because these, I think there's seven or eight books in the series. And girl, they are, they are not short. They are long. Oopsie daisy long. Yeah, so Ron Howard, who was, I think, always kind of signed on as a producer, was like, I'm coming in. I'm going to save the day. I'm going to make this into three movies, even though there's way more material than that. And at the same time, it was announced that there was going to be a, a television series between each of these films. So you'd have movie one, then a television series, then movie two, then a television series, then movie three. All for this series that, like, we didn't know it was going to financially or not. And it wasn't, like, the most successful series of all time. Sure, it's popular, but this is not Lord of the Rings. We had Mr. Javier Bardem and Viggo Mortensen were in talks to play the lead of Roland. 2011 comes around and Ron Howard confirms that yes, the adaptation is still happening and that HBO was going to be carrying the television portion of the project. <gasps> Ooh, that would have been so good. Give us a proper HBO Dark Tower series, please. But you can guess success that that did not happen because it didn't. 2015 rolls around and the project starts to evolve into the movie that we have become stuck with as of now. 2018 comes and the movie had flopped the year before, but Amazon is like, okay, let's try this. There we're at the same time, we're developing Lord of the Rings into a live action series, which I believe they still are. And they decided their hand at the Dark Tower. They made a pilot with the Walking Dead showrunner of sorts, Glenn Mazzara. And it didn't impress them much. And Amazon actually had to let go of this pilot and did not pick it up for series. We did see the casting of Sam Strike as Roland, RIP that this project didn't happen. I trust that Amazon probably had a good eye that this wasn't it. And that's sad to me because, I mean, I, I, I love this property, but if it's not it, don't do it. The, the 2017 adaptation was certainly not it. Okay, I've never seen it, but I can assume that that girl was not it. And I'd rather just have nothing than the wrong something. The Dark Tower is cursed, and not just because it didn't get made, but because it did get made. Moving along. The next project in King Development Hell is Revival. Okay, so this is a really interesting novel that King released in 2006, which I, yes, have read, and yes, I adore. It's very Stephen King, but at the same time, it feels very different than a lot of his recent output. So Revival focused on a relationship between a heroin-addicted musician and 
a psychotic faith healer with a hidden agenda. Uh, this minister is obsessed with trying to find a way to communicate with his dead wife and kid and ends up connecting to a certain kind of Lovecraftian horror. That's all I'm going to say on that. It has true H.P. Lovecraft vibes. It has a, a certain kind of Mary Shelley Frankenstein vibes. Lots of cosmic horror going on here. Um, I'm not the only person to say this, but I believe it. It's sort of a spiritual sister novel in a way to Pet Cemetery. The themes are similar. The meanness, the scariness, the dead kids. All of that kind of has a similar tone as Pet Cemetery. And it would make for an interesting double billing. So back, back, back again in February 2016, it was announced that an adaptation written by uh, Josh Boone was in the works. Now, Josh Boone at the time was starting to adapt Stephen King's The Stand for another miniseries on CBS All Access, which is currently being released. And I'm not a big fan. I think some people are. It seems to be being reviewed fairly uh, lukewarmly, and I'm finding it not to really be doing The Stand any kind of justice. I personally have not seen Josh Boone really rise to the occasion at all lately, ever. Um, and so it kind of worries me that he has, has his fingers in so many Stephen King adaptations, including this one. But, alright, don't get too scared. Because it wasn't long after that that it was actually announced Mike Flanagan was going to be headed back into the world of Stephen King yet again with Revival. He was tapped to write, produce, and potentially direct it for Warner Brothers. He went on to describe it as bleak and mean, and unlike a lot of his other films. Although, girl, have you seen your films? They're all bleak and mean, but that's okay. Uh, unfortunately, in January of 2021, Flanagan announced that he had passed on the project to do something that had a little bit too similar of a plot or similar of themes, so we had to pass on it. He did say that he loves this cosmic horror and thinks that it's extremely fun and that it's also relentlessly dark and cynical and that he loves the novel. Same. Looks like it's yet again trapped in development hell. Who knows if we're going to see it happen? Although we are going to decide officially at the end of the episode which of these stand a chance. And if we give it its stamp of approval, yes, we are Hollywood, and it will be green lit, honey. All right, number four. Number four project stuck in King Development Hell goes to the Tommy. <laughs> the Tommy Knockers. <laughs> Sorry, honey. Maintaining his spooky ooky style, Stephen King takes another uh, hop skip into the land of science fiction with the Tommyknockers. I've never read it. I did see a copy of it at a cottage I was at when I was a kid, and it really gave me the spooks, but that's the only experience I have. Uh, Stephen King hates this book. Like, he does not like it, and he talks about it all the time. Uh, it was written near the end of his infamous cocaine era, an era where he was suffering with 
substance abuse really heavily and I think it had a negative impact on this project and kind of made it very loosey-goosey and people didn't really know what he was talking about kind of thing. In On Writing, a Stephen King book about writing, he talks about how the Tommyknockers was kind of inspired by H.P. Lovecraft, The Color Out of Space. Not only that, but he also uh, wrote a poem when he was a little boy that also inspired the book itself, and we have found it, and it's really spooky, and I'm going to read it to you. So here is The Tommyknockers, poem by child Stephen King. Late last night, the night before the Tommyknockers, Tommyknocker knocking at the door, I want to go out. Don't know if I can, because I'm so afraid of the Tommyknocker man. Ooh, so spooky. So Stephen King wrote The Tommyknockers in the 80s when he was going through some significant substance abuse. And metaphors for addiction can be found throughout this novel. King acknowledged the quality really suffered during this time and has gone on record saying, unquote, The Tommyknockers is an awful book. That was the last one I wrote before I cleaned up my act. Um, it could have been a good book if it had been rewritten and was about half of its original length. Ouch. The book was originally adapted as a TV miniseries, as was many Stephen King's works in the early 90s. This one happened in 1993. So this original two-part television miniseries happened in 1993 on ABC, starring someone named Jimmy Smits and Marge Heldenberger. The series did not receive claim from King himself, who says, I don't really care for 1990s 3 The Tommyknockers at all. Ouch. Eventually, eventually, uh, Frank Koisenberg and Larry Staniski were tapped to executive produce a new miniseries of The Tommyknockers, while Emmy winner um, Yves Simonou, who's behind Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, was in charge of directing this updated series. It never happened, as you can probably have guessed. And in 2018, when King was, yes, very fashionable, we talked about the cycle of peaks and valleys, Universal Pictures happened to win uh, a very intense bidding war to pick up the screen rights to the Tommyknockers. So James Wan, a personal favorite, writer-director behind The Conjuring movies, and Roy Lee, one of the producers behind the recent It adaptation, won. And um, this was all sort of bound to happen around 2018, but then nothing has been announced since, so it's kind of hard to know what's going on. I am a James Wan head. I'm going to say that again. I am a James Wan fan. I'm a huge Dead Silence fan. Like, before it was cool. I'm not sure if it is cool, but if it is, I was there first. Just ask Emily. Oof, I also love, love, love the Insidious franchise. Yes, even number four, sort of. And Malignant is sounding cool as hell, even though we don't know what it's about. Since there's been some underperforming Stephen King projects as of late, I kind of feel like this one may not be so actively in the works. Since the announcement in 2018, James Wan has actually signed on to produce a number of other projects, including Aquaman 2, 
Salem's Lot, which is another King adaptation, Malignant, The Nuntu, and The Crooked Man. So that's a lot, even if he's just as a producer. We're going to see if this one gets made. It's truly an outlier of the Kingverse, and it doesn't really make sense as like a frontrunner of a big theatrical adaptation, but you never know which works are precious to people and which works people really want to get behind. So who's to say? The last, but definitely not least, Stephen King Development Hell project that we're going to tackle is The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. Yes, everything comes back around. This is, as I mentioned, the very first Stephen King novel I ever read. Published in 1999, I swept it up at that Scholastic Book Fair, and I have been spookier ever since. This one's about a young girl who's obsessed with a baseball star and hunk, Tom Gordon, who goes on a day trip with her family on a hike through the woods she gets lost and um, it becomes a survival story of this young girl in the woods with nothing but her imagination to haunt her and just to see if she'll survive and it's hard hard to know if the monsters are imaginary and are her anxiety getting the best of her or if there really is some kind of strange supernatural ghost-like entity in the woods hunting her down it's a very scary very effective book if I recall and I would love to see it getting made. The first rumblings of an adaptation of this novel were announced back in the very early 2000s with the legend George Romero attached to direct. Rumor had it at the time that Dakota Fanning and Laura Dern were attached to star as the two lead characters, and I really think at the time this would have been amazing casting. Laura Dern, an icon. Dakota Fanning, a debatable icon. And then nothing happened. Back in August of 2019, the, broad, the project actually was revived and Romero's production company was still attached, even though Romero had passed away. Um, involved parties included Chris Romero. So the first adaptation was in the 2000s with George Romero attached. And I believe his wife was um, Chris Romero attached as a producer. In November 16th of 2020, it was announced that filmmaker Lynn Ramsey had been picked to direct the film, which I think is actually a really exciting filmmaker to be attached to this project. Uh, She wrote and directed The Chilling, We Need to Talk About Kevin, and makes for an excellent choice to direct, I think, for an intimate horror project. It's also really cool to see, finally, a woman director attached to a modern Stephen King project, especially a story that's so intimately about a young girl. So I really hope that this one happens and it's looking good because the most recent update was you know only a couple of months ago wow so we're here we've made it we're gonna surmise you know there are countless stephen king adaptations in the works at all times and as we say just like the seasons his popularity is perennial it goes and it comes back making it kind of hard to gauge when these projects will happen if they happen. But today we looked into five of these projects, and because we are Mr. and Mrs. Hollywood, we are just going to decide right here, right now, which of these projects truly will get the official green light, and which ones are going to have to keep on swimming in development hell. So starting with the jaunt, is that going to happen? Yeah, it seems like this one's going to happen. 
we're gonna get a TV series out of it, and I think it's gonna be interesting. I really hope so. The Dark Tower series, the uh, series that was originally in development at Amazon, and then they passed on it, and now it looks like they're trying to pitch it to other studios. I don't know. I think it really depends on the success of the Stand miniseries, which already is not a critical success. So unless it can somehow pull through the rubbish and become a huge commercial success, then maybe this pilot can get picked up by AMC or someone that cares. But I'm going to have to give this one a no. Revival. Will Revival, cosmic horror chiller, get to be made? This one I'm going to have to give a maybe to. Um, it had just recently been passed on by Mike Flanagan, which means that there's a chance that someone else is going to tap into this one sooner or later. The longer it dwindles in development, how I would say the less of a chance it's got. But this one's going to go yellow for me, and I'm going to hit it with a maybe. Second to last, we have the Tommyknockers. I'm just going to give this one a flat hard no. And lastly... The girl who loved Tom Gordon, I'm going to say yes. Lynn Ramsey is actively developing this one as we speak. There's been developments, updates in the last few months. And it's such a good story that it would be such a shame not to see this one make it to cinemas or at least, you know, as a Netflix film or something like that. This would be a great high quality um, at home watch, I think. I'm going to give you this one a yes. So, you know, it's a cruel industry. No one said it was going to be easy, but no one said it was going to be this hard. Okay, so that's the end. That's the end of our Stephen King Adaptation Development Hell episode. I want to thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. If you are still listening, I plead, I beg, please leave a five-star rating on iTunes. I would also love it if you left a review. I love you, and I love horror. And we'll be back with another episode of Development Hell. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.